Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, 2024. I hope everyone enjoyed the holiday season and had a safe and happy New Year's Eve. Happy New Year, uh, Jeff. How's it going? It's going good, man. Happy New Year. So uh, what have you been up to besides, uh, you know, working and hanging out? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, really. <laughs> That's pretty much just the... What I've been doing here, I have managed to catch up with a few things. You know, every year around this time, like at the few days before New Year's, few days after, I tried to catch up on what I missed this year in, in film. And I missed a lot of stuff. And uh, I haven't really been doing that this year. I don't know what it is. I just haven't been watching uh, the movies. I, I have this long list and I end up watching other things like uh, Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon. Did you see that? I don't even know what what is that. What is that? Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon. I, I think, uh, and and don't quote me on this, but um, he pitched a Star Wars story to uh, Lucasfilm, and uh, they they rejected it. And he said, "Well, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to make it anyway." So it's a very Star Wars esque sort of feel to it. Um, it uh, it got savaged by critics, and I can see why. It was, uh, you know, I don't. I don't. I've never walked out of a movie in my life. But if I had gone to see this in the theater, I would have considered walking out. Really, it was that bad. Huh? It was that bad. It was just truly awful. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm not really. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a Zack Snyder fan. He's made a couple things that have been okay. But um, this is is just bottom of the barrel for him. Just really, really boring, drab, ugly. It's not not good. I mean, it looks like they spent a lot of money on it too. Um, and it's a good thing it went straight to Netflix. He's making a part two of this, or I think part two's already finished. I don't know, but this was theatrically re- released. I, I would probably guarantee they'd scrap the second half of this. So, oh, so it's on Netflix, and yeah, someone is able to make a part two. That's crazy. Yeah, like they spend a yeah, exactly. And there is also a director's cut of Rebel Moon coming out in a couple months. So he released the PG thirteen cut, and I guess in a couple months we're going to get the R rated cut. So uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> weird, weird decisions all around. <laughs> um. Most people I've talked to also agree that it's terrible. But on the flip side to that, um, watch that new John Woo movie, Silent Night. That's, yeah, you were talking about that. That was something you actually pitched as maybe us, us doing an episode on. And I, mean, I yeah. love John. It's got that Swedish guy in it that I like. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The concept is pretty cool, but I, don't, you know, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It kind of came and went really quickly. Um, real quick. I, I I enjoyed it. It's a it's a John Woo movie, uh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's cheesy, it's violent, it's uh, has no dialogue, which is interesting. But it still it feels a little bit like John Woo doing an impression of of a John Woo movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think sometimes like any a lot of these guys like when they start they have like any kind of longevity in their career. Like they start doing like uh, a riff on themselves, you know. Like this is okay. This is what my type of thing is supposed to be, you know. And that exactly. might be the, that might be the pitfall that John Wu is falling into. 
And, you know, he, he's kind of been out of the uh, American filmmaking game for a while. I think this is his first film in, in quite a while. And, uh, you know, it, it just sucks when an old filmmaker does like a modern movie and you can see them. They're, they're not really quite there with the digital effects yet. They're not used to it because this movie looks very, it's a lot of CGI in it. And it's very obviously CGI. And, uh, man, we're talking about the guy who made Hard Boiled, The Killer, two, the two best action movies ever made. And, uh, you know, Face Off, he just like made so many great movies. And um, I did enjoy it, but it is not top tier John Woo. So I remember back in the day, in the 90s, when we lived on Mission Hill, like uh, mm. one of the, one of those like derelicts I lived with, came back <laughs> with, with one of those. Remember there was a big thing in the movie theaters where like people would go in there with, with video cameras? Oh, that's still a thing. Yeah, and you would videotape the film, right? And then sell it on the street, you know what I mean? As like a dubbed like DVD or VHS tape or whatever. Yeah. And we actually had a uh, one of those bootleg filmed in the theater VHS tapes of Face Off. <laughs> where you can hear people in the crowd talking and everything like that. <laughs> and you know the neighborhood that, that you know, we used to live in. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> There, that was that everyone's faces was just, was distorted because of the angle of the camera and everything. Yeah, it was like yeah. so funny, man. Oh man, <laughs> when I lived in New York City, that was a big thing. Like bootleg DVDs sold on the corner with like you know bootleg handbags and and shit like that. Uh, oh, I yeah. gotta say, like I mean, because I was staying with someone who had a bunch, and uh, the quality they figured it out. Like they're not obviously not great quality, but they're a lot better than that. People talking. Like there was like the scene where like he, he flips back his coat and he's got those revolvers and stuff and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah shit, yeah. You know, like it was really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my friend watched uh, Juan the Grudge. Uh, he watched a copy of that, one of those bootleg things. And he was telling us like, man, the movie was so freaky. There was these weird whispers going throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. And like little voices. I'm like, dude, that's because you watched a bootleg copy. <laughs> Those aren't there. Well, these whispers and voices. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they, they keep talking about popcorn. Um, that's it. I had, like I said, I have a long list of things to uh, check out. I haven't seen Killers uh, of the Flower Moon yet. I haven't seen The Holdovers. I haven't seen Maestro. All these, you know, uh, sort of Oscar contenders. Try to catch up with those, and uh, yeah, just haven't been able to. What about you, man? <laughs> Kind of in the same boat, except uh, I mean, it's funny we talk shit about like how you know twenty twenty three was like a, kind of like a crummy year, but mm -hmm. like I didn't want, I didn't see a lot of stuff either. You know, it's like I was trying to even even in the horror realm, it's like I missed. I feel like I missed a lot of the films that came out, maybe because I was like dismissive of some of it. But um, right. But I'm trying. Even those films, none of the films that you mentioned, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I probably should have seen already at this point, you know, and um, yeah. I, I didn't see it. I mean, but the yeah. one film that, you know, this comes up later is, is the, uh, the, the, the Godzilla minus one is everyone that has seen it. Anyone I've heard speak about it on any, you know, podcasts or whatever, everyone says this is like a masterpiece. So I'm going to that's on my like hit list to watch soon before it goes out of the theaters. And everyone's like, you got to see it in the movie theater. Yeah, um, I've heard so many things about it, which is 
Yeah, it's very interesting to me. I'm not really like a huge Godzilla fan. And whenever I see one of the like, it's not something I need to run out and see usually. But the hype around this seems like, oh, maybe I do need to get my ass to a theater. Because I haven't really liked the the new American Godzilla movies that where he fights King Kong or whatever. Like, I thought those movies were were pretty much shit. Me neither. I mean, I'm not I mean, I'm not a, a fan of that stuff, really. You know how like some people are fans of like, you know, the the that Japanese, uh, you know, monster films and all that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I, of course, when I was a kid, I watched all of them, you know, I mean, Godzilla versus the smog monster being my favorite, but, um, I didn't really, that didn't follow me through life, you know? And, and right. Like, for example, my, my buddy, Danny, who, um, runs Holy Mountain Press, he big, big, big on all that stuff. You know what I mean? He yeah. has like all the work, like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it just never was my thing, and I never watched any of the modern films, and that's why I think maybe I dismissed, um, you know, Godzilla minus one is just like mm -hmm. oh, it's like another another cash grab or whatever. Right. But then uh, you know, it's apparently as a film, independent of it being a Godzilla genre film, it's actually supposed to be just good. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm hearing. Uh, I talk to people about movies all the time on Instagram, and like almost every message I got was like. You guys got to see Godzilla minus one. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to totally admit, I don't think I've seen like hardly any of the OG Godzilla stuff uh, other than the original. Uh, I don't know. I probably caught some on TV, you know, of him fighting Mothra or whatever. But um, yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of like way, way, way behind. Uh, Kaiju and that's kind of stuff. It's never really been something I'm particularly interested in. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I mean, that's on the hit list. Uh, I definitely want to see it um, in the theater. Um, you know, it's 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 a, it, just to get the full experience. And I, and I agree. It's just like, you know, probably you want to see that in a big screen, not on like a TV yeah. computer or something like that, you know, on your phone. So do you remember in Boston, there was uh, that Kaiju big battle thing? Do you rem remember that where people dressed up as monsters and they wrestled? It's still that's still a thing, actually, because um, is it? Yeah, earlier this year, I was I ran into some people when I was out. This, a friend of mine that been involved filming one of those things, and um, yeah, it's still a thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it shows what I know. <laughs> um, but, anything um, else? Yeah, just um, Tina and I have been on this uh, House of the Dragon tear. We just wrapped up the whole season last year. Like she, I mean, not last year, last night. She's a you know big Game of Thrones you know, read the books wow. into the, and, you know, earlier I mentioned that we, we banged out the, uh, the, you know, the whole entire series this past, uh, or, you know, fall winter. And, uh, so we, I fell off on house of the dragon last year mm. and, and she's like, all right, well, the new one is kicking off in June. So let's rewatch it. So like in a cut, just in two days, we watched the entire season and I gotta be honest with you, dude, it's good. I dig it. I'm in. Looking forward to the next season of House of the Dragon. I think it's cool. Not not nice. only that, but I find I'm and maybe this is a result of the stuff I'm doing with Carl over on uh, Darkness Weaves. Mm -hmm. I've been reawakening my interest in like dark fantasy and sword and sorcery and all that sort of stuff too. Because um, Carl and I have been reading all the 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 Wagner Kane stories and um. You know, I've been reading, going back and reading uh, Moorcock's uh, Elric. And mm. um, 
yeah, Robert E. Howard, of course, is like he always, you know, I always read material by him all the time. And um, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm gravitating back into that that dark fantasy world again. And I think the um, House, House of the Dragon is great. It's like very much more, it's very dramatic. It's about like right. intrigue, political espionage and like plots and all the stuff. And it's cool. It's not, it's not as like, uh, it's not as sexy as the first, uh, ser- you know, series. You know, there's hardly any nudity or anything right. like that. You know, but. You know, but even though even though there isn't a lot of nudity, I still like still like it. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, fantasy is something I never really got into. Um, as soon as I see dragons and swords, I'm, I'm usually out. Um, I mean, with some exceptions, obviously the Lord of the Rings movies are fantastic, but I went into that more as like a fan of Peter Jackson than than of the actual those stories. Uh, of course, Crawl from my childhood. That's a that's a great fantasy movie. I just I, I don't know. Um, I, I, that stuff just doesn't grab my interest. I know people who are probably like ten years younger than us probably grew up with like Harry Potter and stuff's really popular with them. And I don't know, man. It just doesn't doesn't do anything for me. But everyone still says uh, um, uh, Game of Thrones is the show to watch, even if you aren't into that. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know. It's uh, I think it's, I thought it was great. Um, <clears throat> you know, people didn't like certain aspects of it. I thought it was cool, you know, still whatever. Everyone's got their opinion. I did not, <laughs> like I said, you know, with um, with House of the Dragon, I didn't, I wasn't in all the way at first, but on the second run through, I thought it was really cool. And then right the on. newest the one upcoming looks great. So we're going to be watching that. Um, yeah, regarding fantasy, it's like that before I got into horror when I was a young kid that was what i was into i was you know lord of the rings um you know robert e howard's uh conan you know all that sort of stuff king you know call and that crossover with hp lovecraft is really mm. like weird fiction writers and sword and sorcery there's there's a lot of crossover like with clark ashton smith and robert e howard and uh i mean lovecraft didn't really have any sword and sorcery um, right stories but you know, there were like elements of like the old gods and, you know, Cthulhu and, you know, Azathoth and all that sort of stuff. Like there's like this connection in my mind between like really good dark fantasy and weird fiction. Right. And I, I don't think, see that. Uh, you know, yeah, like a lot, like I'm very selective, you know, like Michael Moorcock, I dig, um, yeah. you know, his stuff's great. You know, he has this whole universe. Like I haven't read any of the um, Game of Thrones novels or anything like that, but, um, mm. but, you know, I, I don't know if I will, but, you know, maybe. You know, we have all of them in our library here, so maybe, maybe we someday I will. Oh, um, you got a library, dude. We have the best library. I mean, we haven't officially moved in yet, but like, we've got the best collection of books anyone's ever seen. I defy I believe anyone. That. I defy anyone between me and Tina to have to. I challenge anyone to uh, to beat the library that we have because we have all such right. a variety of stuff. We have all the all of my geeky engineering texts, you know, we got like fantasy, we got, you know, other types of fiction, you know, literature, fashion, art, all that stuff here. So I'm going to have to come check this out sometime. I just have one shelf that most of my books are still uh, packed up. You haven't even opened it. You haven't even broken the spine. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. I'm looking at my little like display of books that I did bring out and, you know, it's uh, Batman. So you got a Morrissey book in there. House of Leaves. Uh, some comic books, yeah, you know, 
It's okay. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, real real quick about about books stories. I just finished also reading um, House on the Borderlands, um, a novella uh, by um, William Hope Hodson, who's uh, I think I think that book was written. I think I, he wrote that in like nineteen hundred, maybe eighteen nineties oh. or nineteen hundred or something like that. And um, he's kind of like a contemporary Lovecraft, and um, or maybe a little bit before Lovecraft, possibly. Um, mm. Died in World War One. Apparently, was very uh, brave, you know, soldier. Sure. And he, I, if you, if anyone out there who likes weird fiction and cosmic horror and has not read Hudson, I highly recommend to check this story out, House on the Borderlands, and then that leads into another novella called The Nightlands, and both of those are incredible pieces of cosmic horror weird fiction the nightlands is like this real heavy like end of like end of the world end of the mm. universe thing like this dead world you know the earth after the sun supernovas and it's just like a very bleak novel bleak novel and um so those two th those two pieces highly recommend them i can't right. late i'm late to the game with hudson but hey it's great Cool. Yeah, I've heard of. I've definitely heard of that. Probably from you. I made a recommendation to Carl, but he, of course, he'd already read it. So, um, <laughs> right, right on. Yeah. Um, All right. So yeah, let's, let's shout out our, our our buddies here. So of course, uh, kicking yeah. the week off. You know, we're a little rusty. You know, had to take the holiday break. So, um, you know, kicking things off during the week, we have Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf Six Six Six. Next up. In the rotation is Into the Necrosphere. Jackie Smith brings you the best extreme music podcast on the internet, in my opinion. You know, a close second would be the Heavy Hole podcast, which uh, I'm a guest on in the upcoming weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wednesday is Everything Went Black. You guys, uh, if you're listening to this, you probably know what that's all about. Uh, Necro Thursday, of course, which is today. We, uh, me and Jeff and Mike. Scandato bring you our take on horror and horror adjacent movies. Friday, Mike's brother John hits with Spitball Media, which uh, is a show that if you listen to this, you gotta listen to that one too, man. It's it's, uh, it's pretty killer. Yeah. Saturday, great. Saturday is a day off, so go out there, take a walk in the park, you know, enjoy yourself. Sunday, Carl Hikara comes at you with Soul Knox. And as I mentioned earlier, Carl and I are doing a collaboration called Darkness Weaves, where we're uh, delving into the world of Carl Edward Wagner. And right now we're talking about the Kane stories. And this will probably take us at least a year to uh, to run through. There's a lot of those stories out there. And then, of course, our, our newest member, uh, Cheyenne from the band Tribax, uh, with uh, his own schedule brings us Iblis Manifestations. And uh, Cheyenne is going to appear on Everything Went Black in the hmm. uh, coming weeks. So um, check him out. Excellent. He's also He's been a guest on Jackie's show quite a bit. And uh, I've actually had him on Everything Went Black once before. But solid guy, incredible musician. Uh, Tribax is a great band. And uh, if you guys want to catch Jackie and mine's episode on our records, top records of 2023, just a little hint. That Tribax record's most likely going to figure pretty prominently on our lists so just a nice. heads up on it. 
<laughs> so we got um our our voice line, the necrophone. If you're so inclined to leave us a message and say hi or happy holidays or jump off a roof or whatever, you hate us, you love us, whatever, we welcome all. So leave a message at 908-913-0782. 908-913-0782. And of course, we've got a, a call. Hey, gents, this is uh, Jeff out in uh, Henderson, Nevada. And uh, long-time listener, uh, finally got up the balls to call. I'm not the greatest uh um, I'm leaving messages, but, but, but here I am, uh, uh, Mike, Mike, Jeff, first off, just want to congratulate you guys on hitting over 200 episodes. Um, as I said, I've been listening forever. Uh, was originally brought to you guys as a, uh, huge loyalist of the rock band tombs and, uh, have been enjoying your, uh, your efforts, uh, ever since. Anyway, uh, my first call to the necrophone, and this actually could be considered uh, an emergency call, emergency communications, uh, emergency necro communications. Uh, my timing sucks here because I realize that if this airs at all, it will come after uh, Christmas. But two movies I'd like to just recommend uh, on the fly are the first one is The Holdovers. And I don't know if you guys, if either of you have seen this yet, but it is effing Awesome. In my estimation, one of the greatest um, Christmas films of all times. Yes, you could watch it any other time of the year, but uh, for Christmas in particular, I think it. I, I think you could blow right past the Christmas story, um, etc. Phenomenal film. Uh, Paul Giamatti. Uh, you know, small cast, but great film. It is long. It's two hours. I think was it two hours and thirteen minutes long, but a phenomenal film. Obviously. Not a horror film. But anyway, next up, um, at the conclusion of your, uh, your, your last episode, the, uh, the annual roundup, uh, uh, Mike Scandato, you, uh, I was waiting for this. I was hoping somebody's going to bring it up was, uh, Godzilla minus one. Not only do you guys have to see that movie, you have to go see it in the theater. It is fucking phenomenal. Um, unlike, you know, so many other Godzilla films where it's this, you know, bungling radioactive iguana kind of, you know, marching through buildings and somehow he winds up being the hero of the film in the end. This is nothing like that. This guy is fucking furious. He's like, fuck this, fuck you, I'm killing everybody. It was awesome. Totally different from anything I've seen of any other, you know, uh, Godzilla film. Um, the sets, the story, the fact that it was a Japanese film, I mean, just culturally, it was just, you know, so much different and just a phenomenal film. Uh, so there's that. Um, lastly, um, being that this is a music adjacent, uh, podcast, I know we share a lot of the same likes. Just want to say, uh, in remembering. Happy to hear that you're a fan of, uh, of Tombs and that, uh, you're a listener of the show. Um, we've got quite a bit of episodes out there, as you as you know, and uh, I'm glad that people listen. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. you mentioned the holdovers, man. Did you check that out? No, right? Yeah, it's it's been on my list. Uh, you know, we thought about watching it for Christmas. We might watch it on New Year's, but uh, we definitely plan on watching it. I like Alexander Payne. I think he's made a couple of really great movies. 
uh, word is, is that this is one of his, his best or a return to form. Um, so I am really looking forward to it. And uh, I appreciate the, uh, the non-horror recommendation, I got to say. You know, yeah, it's man. okay. We, we don't have to talk about horror all the time. Yeah, I mean, I'm down. Like, I obviously, I don't only watch horror films. I mean, right. we all, <laughs> uh, and frankly, we don't always talk about horror films. You know, we we try to, like, fit the genre to some of our, um, you know, our interests sometimes. And, uh, yeah, the, yeah, I, that's been, I like Paul Giamatti, too. I'm always a big fan of yeah. him, so. Yeah, yeah he's, so he's, 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 he's great. Definitely uh, on the, on the, on the uh, hit list for me. Um, we talked about Godzilla minus one, definitely. Right. Want to check yeah. Out. And dude, you left us hanging, man. It's like, <laughs> it's like got cut off. Sorry, man. If you want to call back and, you know, continue the message this week, definitely do, man. I want to hear what you had to say. It was like, I was on the edge of my seat. So, Hey, you know, <laughs> out again, man. Yeah, man. Please call back. Yeah. You know, we heard from Mike from Pennsylvania, man. Happy holidays. Uh, looking forward to hearing you uh, in the coming year. And, it's um, like our, our fourth member, basically, at this point. <laughs> yeah, I feel like him and Rennie are are like kind of like part of the staff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Staff, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, we we hire researchers, uh, assistants, all that stuff. <laughs> you know, big production over here. Yeah, we got a big production house. That's definitely part of uh, of our staff. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Have a great New Year, man. So that brings us to this week's feature film. And um, where the devil roams came out last year. Uh, this figured in not in my top six, but was definitely mentioned uh, for last year's top films, in my opinion. And um, so, 2023, written and directed by John Adams, Zelda Adams, and Toby Poser. And uh, if you've been following this show and everything went black, you know that uh, the Adams family are highly respected by me and by the rest of us and they've actually been on everything went black a couple times as interview guests and if you want to check that out i did um an interview with them with john and and, uh, and toby uh, a couple months ago right before this film was released so mm. to get inside into that you can head over and check that episode out too if you're so inclined so so yeah this is their newest film um you know, a little background is that it's a family, obviously, the Adams family, um, and they, they live in the Hudson Valley, and all of these productions are done in a very, very in-house DIY SST records kind of uh, approach, and um, that's one of the things I picked up on this, and that's something that resonates with me, because, uh, you know, just that will to to do things, to be creative, and... Um, you know, that that's what I really dig about their whole thing. And I've been watching their films. I found out about them uh, kind of during the pandemic with um, The Deeper You Dig, which was uh, on, I have the Arrow um, app and that was on there. And it was a film that was in the periphery for me. And uh, it looked interesting. I started watching it and I just was like drawn in right away. And we did an episode on that. We and, did. Uh, yeah. You know, and since then they've been, on a tear with Hellbender, and uh, you know that was a film that hit really high on a lot of people's radar, and uh, and now uh, where the Devil Realm is their latest. Yeah, and real quick about that episode we did, I, you know, I feel like the Adams family is like one of those things where you got to get on their wavelength to 
to really um to really get it you know what i mean yeah, uh, it's, it's like like the first time i watched david cronenberg's crash i was like what the fuck is this and, but you know years later when i watched it it's like oh i get it you know i'm on the david cronenberg wavelength now um I think the Adams family was like that for me. I was a little unkind to uh, DPU Dig. I didn't think it was terrible, but there was just I didn't really get what they were trying to do with just that film. And now this is the third film I've seen of theirs, and I get it. I compl- I, I I think I get it anyway. Um, well, I, I actually had something similar to say about that too, because it's almost like uh, when you watch their movies, you're not watch. It's not it's not realism. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, at least right. that's not how I see it. It's like when you watch like a Jodorowsky film or something like that, or or Cronenberg, or um, you know, there's there's these uh, idiosyncratic things that are in the movie that put it in a separate reality, you know, than what we experience in our daily lives, and that's um atmosphere, um, dialogue. Uh, there's like a certain very wry humor that's in a lot of their their dialogue and their movies yes. which um, yes. also resonate with and um also it's um there's almost like this painterly quality to the way the films are shot too you know like there's a lot of really great um you know cinematography that to me almost seems like paintings in some ways yeah you know i have it written down like and this is not as an insult at all but i get a little bit of like a music video vibe from like from some of their films you know what i mean like but that's not, that's not probably that's probably yeah i mean because they're all really they're heavily into music i mean they have the the hellbender bands that they do yeah you know and john's you know john has had years of experience in bands and um yeah i mean that, that makes sense to me that there's they're approaching it i mean they are there is like this kind of rock and roll quality to their movies too you know, which that's more I think what I what I should have said. But yeah, like I, I remember there's a few shots that kind of remind me of like, you know, this seems like it might be like a like you know, you can see this like uh, uh as an REM video a little bit, like back in the nineties. And uh I like that they do their own thing. Like I don't feel like they're making films to get um picked up by a studio, you know, to to uh keep making, you know I, I get a sense like they would reject sort of studio filmmaking and just stick to doing their thing and uh i like filmmakers that do that and there's not a lot of them i feel like a lot of people start in horror and stuff like this so it's just like oh i need a job so i can move on to the next thing but people like joe bagos and the adams family they want to do their their own thing like you know you can get on their wavelength they're not going to get on yours that's the kind of vibe i get like it's it's punk rock filmmaking basically and i know that thank you and i agree completely and that's the thing man like bagos and the adams family are totally different filmmakers but they're they share that like quality of independence which i really like which reminds something that when i interviewed them we spoke we always talk about black flag whenever i talk to those guys yeah. So the fact that we're mentioning Bagos and the Adams family comes brings to mind SST Records, which would have like St. Vitus and Black Flag and like the Minutemen and the Meat Puppets, you know, right? And who's and like Saccharine Trust, and they none of those bands sound anything alike. Yet there's like this quality about them that kind of unites them, and I feel like the Adams family and a filmmaker like Joe Bagos and you know that crew of people 
they have nothing in common really besides their just their uh desire to create their own sort of you know art art for lack of you know for films and art and all that sort of stuff exactly like joe begos has his biggest budget with uh you know santa movie and he spends it on an animatronic santa and then you know makes like his movie with that money i feel the adams family would do the same thing if you give gave them like i don't know five million dollars to make a film they would make a film that looks like what they do yeah you know maybe they would have more days of shooting or you know like production stuff you know what i mean it wouldn't be like they would hire like brad pitt to like you know come in and play the lead or that you know <laughs> yeah exactly by the way shout out to brad pitt man like his, his um i used to hate that <laughs> man in the old days like back when he was younger and really? i got i have to say that i like i like modern brad pitt man you know as an actor i've always liked brad pitt man uh he had that back-to-back year where he did seven and 12 monkeys and Man, those are two just like absolute classics, and he is great in Twelve Monkeys. I appreciated those. I didn't really start getting on board with him until he did like Fight Club, really, or like uh, you know that. But and now, as an older man who's probably like what close to like sixty or something like that, I think Brad Pitt might be sixty. Yeah, yeah, he's like this, like you know, elder elder statesman. <clears throat> Of uh of of leads, you know I, I I appreciate him now. He's got like this maturity to him, and his when I see him act in a movie, you know. So yeah, he's Rick definitely gotten that. better. He's definitely gotten better. He, he's had some performances in his early days, like even Seven. I'm like I'm not really sure <laughs> what you're doing here. It's interesting, but um I thought he was great uh in the movie he won the Oscar for um uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, like you know, the, a lot of these movie stars are just that. They're a pretty face and they look good on the big screen, but a lot of them, you know, can't act that that well. But I think Brad Pitt is a legitimate actor. At this stage, for sure, yeah. I mean, my, my probably his all-time worst role was in California, that movie. Oh, you bring that up before. Yeah, you brought that <laughs> You hate that. I can't even can't even watch that movie. Like, I can't even make it through the entire film. It's just like, it just bums me out too much, man. I would say where he plays the Irish terrorist, whatever that movie was, was probably one of the worst performances by a big movie star I've ever seen. That's pretty bad. And even even though uh, the Guy Ritchie film he was in, I, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. He stuck out like a sore thumb as being like, you know, the pikey sort of guy, you know? <laughs> oh, man, I liked him a lot in that. I liked that movie Yeah, but his accent, though, was all wrong. You know what I'm saying? They, You know what would have been funny is if they ADR'd all of his dialogue and they just had him in the film. <laughs> Amazing. It was like watching, like, a kung fu movie with, like, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, doing a proper accent. I fucking love it, man. All right, so that's enough right. about that. Let's talk about the Let's talk about where the devil roams. Yeah, which Brad Pitt is not in, everyone. He's not in that, by the way. No. <laughs> um all right, from the from the very beginning of this film, the opening sequence. All right, there's that monologue. Um two things. Number one, even though this is a period piece, the guy, the actor reading the monologue clearly does not seem like someone from that period. You know what I mean? Like the post-World War One. Right, but you, you buy into it though, still, like as possibly being this like alternate reality of 
you know, I don't know. It's just, it has this like old quality to it. It's, it's old and new, old and modern at the same time in a weird way. You know what I'm trying to say? No, I know exactly what you're trying to say. I picked up on that right away. Like, yeah, this is supposed to be post-World War One, but it's still kind of, like, at first I didn't know if this was a modern movie. Uh, that with people who just dressed, you know, like the old times oh. for show, it, it's a, it's a little hard to, hard to tell at first. And um, I was struck by like the guy uh, who who comes out and gives the reads the poem uh, looks uh, a lot like someone you and I both know. <laughs> I know a lot of dudes that look like like base tattoos and yeah, well, um, he looked like you know someone you know. You might have been in might have been in one of your, in one of your bands. I played bass and tunes. Yeah. <laughs> Holy, that's the hit me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy, like, man. He looked a little bit like Carson James if he had yeah. put uh, like a, had a mustache or some facial hair. Yeah, totally. The hair, yeah. everything was yeah. exactly the same. And also, if Carson had lost his legs and you know the war or something like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, no. No. Um, right away. So that, that strikes me is that a very, very well done monologue, which kind of lays out sort of the background of the film where, um, there's reference to, uh, Abaddon mm. and a heart with a pin. Now, um, real, it's real, real quick about that. That's, um, you know, Abaddon is like, there's two, it's a place and a person. Right. There's, if you if you are familiar with like Hebrew and Christian mythology and that sort of stuff, it's like uh, Abaddon is like the Hebrew word for destruction or place of destruction. And um, or also in one of the angels of the abyss, you know, so. Um, but in this case, the way that this poem proceeds, it's almost like Abaddon is almost more of like a. Um, like a Lucifer character who's fallen mm -hmm. from grace and. Later in the film, and this is the thing I dig, it's like later in the film, the character that John plays is referencing a book about uh, the Gnostics, about Gnosticism. So the Gnostics believe Abaddon is a demon um, equivalent to the devil, to Satan. Okay, so it took me a minute to figure all that out um, when I watched it the first time, because, you know, but that's the circle, Abaddon. Right the devil a heart and a pin mm -hmm. very well done i like that i like the monologue i like how this information is kind of cast out there 100 percent exposition but done in a very interesting way yeah absolutely like it's black and white and old timey looking and um it it, it really sets the tone for what you're about to watch and uh you know Back to the, the, like, you know, I said something about the 90s video aesthetic. Like, uh, this also kind of reminds me of, there was, like, a Lollapalooza in the 90s where they had, like, a traveling circus, okay. like, as part of Lollapalooza. Do you remember that? I think it was called Jim yes. Rose Circus or something. You know that John and Toby are similar age to me. So, they, that I'm sure that they, they're, they are, they're hip, hip kids like we were back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So like, I know that they they might have been you know maybe thinking of those possibly thinking of that but maybe not you know, that that yeah. brought up the same vibe to me They're like you know people like you know with the the heavily 
tattoos and the suspensions and that kind of vibe that you know modern primitives like that sort of thing was really big in the 90s too yeah like it just totally reminded me of that and of course a lot of them aren't don't you know they're the real deal the tattoos are real the piercings are real all that stuff it also uh, creates cool. this vibe. it creates this vibe of just like otherworldliness too and like I, I don't the idea of a circus traveling circus is is um something that like when you really think about it it's kind of scary in some ways you know what i mean there's like sure like all kinds of people could just disappear into that environment, you know, and it's a great place to hide if you're running from the law or if you have some kind of shadowy past or something like that, you know, especially then, I mean, like, you, yeah, you could just, just disappear, become someone else. And, uh, you know, no, now it'd be a little bit trickier, but especially then what, what year is this supposed to take place? Like you just kind of, all right, well, all right, so let, let's just get a little bit more into the characters here. So we got um the year we have this the the three Adams family members. We got uh John plays uh seven. Okay, that's uh he is a veteran of World War One. Okay. So that means you know he's suffering from PTSD and has an aversion to blood, ironically. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife is Maggie, and uh she's more of the heavy in this, obviously. Oh yeah. And, uh, there's the daughter Eve who only speaks when she sings. Okay. So this I would place this time frame if you were to put it in our historical continuum to be between World War 1 and World War 2. So Yeah. Yeah, that that's like, you know, early 21st 20th century. So that's where they're at, you know. Yeah, and this uh this this group of people, like um, they they do like a musical number as part of their contribution to the circus. That Eve is like a singer, and uh, Seven and Maggie are sort of the uh, on stage with with Eve when they perform. And we also uh, meet Mister Tips, mm. <laughs> who's. His performance, Sam Rod, the guy who plays Mr. Tips, is uh is outstanding in my opinion. The guy's the guy's like looks great on stage with that top hat when or not on stage, like in the in frame when he shows up. Yeah. <clears throat> top hat. He looks like he's uh like a member of the swans or like the bad seeds or something like that when he shows <laughs> Yeah. Uh, wow, that's great that you, you said that. Yeah, I can see him in like, you know, being like the drummer for Dirty Three or something like that. Or he's got he's definitely got that vibe. And I, I don't really recognize him from anything else. Well, that that's the thing, man. You're probably I you're hard hard pressed to find anyone in these films who's you might recognize, you know? And yeah, uh, they use a lot the- of non-actors. One of the things that uh, I'm also going to reference right now is uh, the tragic Jim Van Bever, who I thought one day would have a brilliant career as a filmmaker, but has uh, descended into chaos in his life. And I don't even know what he's up to these days. But Jim Van Bever had a similar approach to filmmaking where he everything was DIY. Everything was done on on like his own terms. And he used pretty much the crew of people he, he was friends with in, in Dayton, Ohio. And mm. if you watch all of his films, it's like the same people basically are in them. And 
uh, that's kind of like the approach that the um, Adams family have. It's like these people are people that are around them. I think, I think Sam Rod is uh, in, has other uh, acting credits. Okay. Know? Yeah, he's he's an he's an actual actor performer. Um, the guy who looks like Carson, he did the monologue. is is another person who's involved in in, okay. in art. Yeah, but none of these people are like you know Hollywood actors or anything like that. You know, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Tip is not a huge role, but he plays a very pivotal part in the movie. Well, yeah, I mean, he's kind of the linchpin of this whole thing. Right. You know, and he's a darker character. Uh, his whole thing with uh, the show is um, he cuts off his fingers and they, they reassembles them. You know, so yeah. it's like a kind of like... Kind of like a geek show in some ways, you know, where um he gets up on stage and people he just people watch him cut his fingers off. Right, exactly. He's like the headline too. I yeah. think he's like the, the the big attraction. And um, you know, uh Eve takes an interest in him uh, a little bit. I think she's very fascinated. Eve is also like likes to chop parts of her dolls up and things like that. Yeah. And yeah, uh, she she wants what he's got. She wants to figure out his secrets or how he does it. Yeah. And this, this is the part, I, this is like, I, I really dug this, this whole element of the story because it reminds me of just like a, some short story, you know, and it's just like, he reveals to her that he has this heart and which, you know, we know from the monologue that is, uh, you know, the heart of the devil or maybe the heart of the devil or could be, the heart of someone who is like damned, you know, in eternal damnation or something, you know, there's like this heart that he keeps in, in a, you know, in a jar and he uses that element of it to sew his fingers back on. And um, yeah, it's just like this talisman of evil that he uses. And it's like, you know, this dark influence in his life that, you know, and he talks about how, how as a kid, he was always fascinated by the circus, which right mm -hmm. away is kind of like, like, if you really think about that for a second, it's like, you know, I would probably be scared if I was a kid going to one of these types of circuses, you know, where there's like tattooed women, people hacking pieces of their bodies off, you know, and like, you know, geek shows and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of dark if you really think about the circus life, you know? Oh, yeah, especially the, the circus he was describing. Like, that would mortify most children, but uh, not Mr. Tips. He was, he was into it. Yeah. So he finds the guy who has this heart, and it, it pretty much implies that he murdered him to get the heart in his own possession. Yeah. That's when he started his dark art of removing parts of his body and sewing them back on. Right, and... Um... It's funny. You would think that would be like the crux of the movie, but really, like a good a, a good chunk of this movie is just a road movie. It's the the, the family traveling. Well, I I kind of miss it, but they're they're meeting up with the circus in a few days, and I guess everyone travels separately. That's what it seemed like, you know. And um, yeah, yeah. So through other, the, the all right. So the real mission of the of the mother, father, and daughter is their killing perceived evildoers people right. that they perceive as so you know which is adds like this ironic element to it 
with uh, Seven being a veteran, but he doesn't like blood. And uh, yeah, so has- yeah, they they blindfold them whenever they're about to kill someone, and um, a lot of the people who they deem evil are people who are just trying to help them too. Yeah, I know that's the thing. That's what I said, like perceived evil doers. Yeah, yeah. So there's like this miscalculation going on as to who is evil, you know, and it's like, you know, maybe that has something to do with just sort of the wild nature of evil, you know, where it's like that the fact that it's a post-war film. Um, the fact that they mistakenly kill a Norwegian guy is like <laughs> what, what's maybe, I mean, I don't even know if this is part of what they're trying to say, but like, maybe like point of view is like determines what actually is evil, you know? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Because if you, yeah, like Maggie is really like the evil one. And I mean, he's out there murdering people, you know, but she's like, one of the main characters that you're supposed to and you and you empathize with her right yeah she also says like you know someone steals your spare tire and she's like thieves there's a special place in hell and then she like literally like oh look i found this tie in the house of the person we killed you know you you might like this tie like she is what she hates it's almost like um like uh the movie we just watched uh, the killer where like he has a strict code but he completely goes against the entire movie like uh, she la- she uh, doesn't seem to have that self-awareness that that she is what she doesn't like. And there's also that one scene, which um, I found this to be really funny and interesting. And it reminded me almost like a David Lynch moment in the movie where they're looking for lodging and they run up on this lady who's uh, renting a room for 75 yes. cents a night. And of course, um, you know, the old woman, it turns out, and we talked about this in the interview. The old woman is like one of their neighbors. So, um, oh, okay. I love yeah, that so scene. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So she's like 75 cents per night per person. Right. And that's like the sign. She's like, well, the sign says 75 cent per night. And she's like, <laughs> 75 cents. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh oh, here we go. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could cut that scene from the movie and narratively you don't really miss anything, but that's such a nice moment of like color and atmosphere to the film. Like I'd even argue like, that that house did not fit the uh, the time period at all, which added to the somewhat surreal nature of this film. Yeah, surreal. That's a good word to describe this film, definitely. And uh, there's even a scene where they cut you know, from that conversation back into the car. And seven is like, uh oh, you know, I yeah. see a dark cloud or something like that. And I yeah. like, but there you go. It's like in her mind, there was a calculation going on as to whether or not this person, her lying nature, would define her as being evil and worthy of extermination. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, um, yeah, they kill a few few people on this trip. And again, like, yeah, to her, it's completely justified, but, Really, um, like I said, all these people were trying to do w- w- was help them. I think they run into one guy who's just kind of an asshole, which you know doesn't make you evil. Exactly. And then, what another darkly humorous moment was when they're sleeping in the in the barn, and this uh, Norwegian guy shows up, and uh, yeah, like he bites him in and gives him goat milk and all this other stuff, and uh, they start talking about the war. And he asks Seven if he's, you know, he was in the war. And he's like, I was. And they talk about how horrible it was and how he lost people. 
and um, there's a Norwegian flag uh, flying in the guy's living room. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it is perceived as you know, she, Maggie misunderstood him as being like a Nazi or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> and his reaction is like, well, you know, they're sort of like Germans. <laughs> like Now real quick about the, about Norway in World War One, it's like they they were neutral, I think, right? Or all right, this was before the Nazis, so this is World War One. Okay, sorry right. about that. Well, hey, were you guys roast me on that? Talking about World War One, I, I think. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I thought I thought Norway was neutral and the Germans like invaded Norway or something like that during World War One. No, maybe, uh, maybe I don't, I don't know. Maybe my, my history's all jacked right now. But anyway. But yeah, but he wasn't German, and they killed him. <laughs> so there yeah, you go. But he, yeah. And the guy was nothing but like, uh, you know, friendly to them, really. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he found him sleeping in the barn, and he's like, "Come on in, I got a fire." And oh, I'll, I'll sing you a song. <laughs> you know, I want to sing something my mom used to uh, sing for me. Yeah, and she just fucking you know kills him. And I gotta say the kills in this are great. Like the uh the effects, they've really, really stepped it up in, in that regard. All right, real quick about Norway. <laughs> <laughs> Norway was neutral in World War One. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I, I just it was bothering me because I'm trying to remember. I was I was being like confused by uh, you know. Uh okay. Nineteen fourteen Norway, like Sweden and Denmark. Issued a declaration of neutrality. Okay. Yeah. There you there go. You go. Let's see. History lesson here on Necromaniacs. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but I was saying they, they've really um, stepped it up. I don't know. Like, it seems like they had more, a little bit more to money to work with. I see, like, a lot of practical effects and, and gore. Uh, the gore was really pretty good in this, too, I thought. It was man, like uh, it was. It was really good, and even some of the digital effects I thought were were considering the budget not bad. I mean, there's like uh, old, you know, World War One era planes in, in the sky, and it doesn't, you know, it looks it looks good. I agree. Um, this is there's a one scene of a house burning that looks again like it doesn't look like reality and i feel like it's on purpose it's supposed to look like surreal again a little bit of like a music video aesthetic where they're like uh maggie standing in front of the house and it's on fire i remember that scene you're talking about yeah yeah but it looked cool yeah, it looked cool. yeah. yeah exactly so uh i'm not sure what the budget was for this but uh it it, it looks really it doesn't look cheap like you know you, you get a lot of shots of mutilated bodies and you know people with their heads bashed in and things like that and it looks very convincing so we get to the sort of the defining moment of um of the film where they're uh meeting out retribution on some perceived evildoers and they're murdered yeah that know. came out of nowhere <laughs> i was not expecting now, that real quick the murderer is uh their daughter Lulu, <laughs> the real daughter Lulu Adams, uh, the murderer in that in that scene. 
Yeah, I was kind of confused as to who she was in the film, actually, when all this was like happening. Like, who, what, what just happened? Like, it, it, it was, I think, I guess they didn't clear the house. <laughs> you know, there was, well, that, that's, there. that's, yeah, that, that's how I saw it. Is they, didn't, they didn't completely clear the house of its inhabitants. And she, you know, aha, came out there and, and killed them. Right, exactly. And this is like, like you said, this is like, you know, a big part of the movie. We're like an hour into the movie. So it was very uh, unexpected, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what happens out now? Now it becomes like a monkey's paw kind of uh, riff. You know what I mean? Like, um, I mean, at least that's how I pick up on it, where it's like, okay, we're going to like, you know, Eve goes back to the uh, the heart. And this is where this thing, the full circle comes. So she starts reassembling uh, her parents with the dark magic of the Abaddon heart. And they're reanimated, basically. They become these kind of um, simulations of life is what I'd like to refer to it as. And that's kind of like the the whole, like, you know, like the, the monkey's paw is like one of those tropes in horror fiction that comes up again constantly. It's like, not constantly, but, you know, like uh, Pet Cemetery, um, sure, you know, uh, Death Dream, like all that sort of stuff is like you a loved one dies and you use some sort of dark magic to bring them back, but they come back right. as not quite the same or bad or like they're zombies or you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, exactly. Especially with the the, the dad character, he seems very zombie like, still sort of uh, passive in nature, and but the the mom is still the mom like she's still very very much the same and uh wasn't quite sure maybe they're trying to say something there uh i'm not sure but uh i liked it uh, it again it added a lot of humor to it with the dad being sort of out of it because he took an axe to the head so even a reanimated person missing part of his brain i guess is going to act a little strange yeah it's kind of hard to come back from an axe to the head yeah i i, w- I would imagine so i mean i'm no expert but um but yeah the scenes of them perform like performing is are are funny and you know they start to get a reputation now that they're the stars of the show because you know they're like falling apart on stage and people are like oh my god what an insane magic trick um and they, they sort of become the the new uh mr tips yeah and, and but of course you know the downside to be reanimated is that they need a constant supply of, of new uh, body parts too? Right, yeah. Because when they were murdered, they were like cut up with uh, with an axe. So uh, you know, like uh, mom got her hand and leg chopped off, and so they keep having to find new body parts to to replace them with. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, one thing I really, really loved about this movie uh, is the way it's filmed. The longer the film goes along, the more old timey it looks. Yeah, I noticed that too. Those are really cool. Like, yeah, like the intros, like the the first, I don't know, like yeah, like hour or so. It's, it's very like you know slick digital looking. Um, but yeah, then right around then, you know, it starts to uh, look a little bit um, older. Like there's a lot more black and white going on, and uh, again, the film gets more and more surreal as it goes along. Yeah, I just think it's trippier as time goes. And I guess like, yeah, that that's that's the um the word I would describe it as surreal for sure. And that and that fits into what I was saying earlier, where it's like you're not watching like a, a period a realistic realism. You know, it's it's right. 
impressionism and it's like surreal and dreamy and atmospheric and that's like exactly the kind of stuff i that resonates with me with the, their this film out of all their other films really takes the ball and runs with it in that direction which i'm really you know i i, I really appreciate that yeah, and absolutely, and, and now like being more familiar with it, things that might have bothered me in a in a, in, in a different film don't, don't bother me about this. Like you know, like the World War, the, the the war scenes, like it's clearly like the woods in someone's yard or whatever. But that adds to the weird, dreamy nature of this thing. Like you said, like you know, you, you can imagine being like, oh, like oh, I had a dream I was in a war, but we were in our backyard. <laughs> you you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah uh yeah and and by the time you get to the end it's just completely um uh surreal i wasn't sure what to make of the final shot i wasn't really kind of sure if they were trying to to save me uh but i just know that i i really enjoyed watching this movie a lot uh it's experimental it's totally made with with love and passion and it shows yeah, so definitely go out and check this movie out, um, especially if you like their other films. And um, and even even if you haven't seen them before, take our recommendation and, and check it out. It's streaming uh, as a rental right now. I'm not sure what the plan is moving forward, if it's going to show up on like Shutter or, you know, the Arrow app or something like that. But um, but yeah, or Tubi or whatever. Uh, Rennie, Rennie saw this in the theater down in Philly. Um, oh. I was not. Yeah, I was not able to make the New York uh, showing um, in the theater. Uh, so it did have a small theatrical run, but, uh, you know, like most independent films now it's available, um, streaming. So I, I rented it from, uh, well, I, I had, a, I had a, um, a screener, but I, mm. I wanted to watch it on the TV. So I rented it and, uh, from Amazon and, uh, it's right. also on Apple and all the other places too. I believe I watched it through Amazon as well. Um, this seems tailor-made for, for shutter. Like, um, this seems like it could find an audience there better than it could, you know, on say like HBO max or something. Oh yeah. yeah totally. I mean, I think uh, there's an, Rennie was telling me that it was pretty packed at the showing. So it's like, there's definitely like, um, you know, a, a, they have a fan base, which is awesome. You know, the, the work is the diligence has been paying off. So, you know, these guys, uh, Benson and Moorhead, you know, Joe Bagos, um these are some of our favorite people man and and like you know i rep go out there and rep 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 independent films check this out and um support these support all these people that we're talking about benson and moorhead though have stepped into the you know they're starting to deal with the devil a little bit but a know. little bit yeah 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 when you said their name i was like yeah yeah no i mean i'm still a big fan i still love all the films that they make uh but yeah, they've stepped into the Marvel universe and have sort of worked in in, in uh, you know for for the Mouse House Disney. But that's okay, you know. But I mean, their their films though, when they make their own productions, it's the same. Nothing's changed though. They just got better, really. You know. I agree, and I think uh, even something that like a studio movie uh, for them, like Synchronic or whatever that was, called, that was fantastic. Oh, it was great too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I loved it. Um. So I, I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just going to say like, this is kind of like the future of like horror films, genre films, you know, the people that we're talking about, I really do feel like are going to be stepping forward as like premier, like creators of this type of content, you know? I, uh, I completely agree. 
Uh, I've been saying for a long time, we're in a new golden age of horror and, and I mean it. And uh, it's hopefully only going to get better. There's more and more interesting filmmakers out there. And a lot of them want to work in the horror genre, you know? Um, I think it's one of the genres you can be like the most creative, the most free. Um, so I get it. And I think, I think there's going to be a lot better films to come from all those people. Um, but this one, what, what would you give it grade wise? Solid, solid four out of five on this one for sure. Definitely. Completely agree. I give it a very, very solid four. Um, if you're into um, what they do, you're definitely going to like this. If you're unfamiliar with them, like, and, and you like films, like, by the films of like David Lynch, things like that, or independent stuff, like this, this, this is for you, for sure. And I'm sure these guys are already working on another film. <laughs> like that's what that's how they roll. You know, it's like <clears throat> this it's, one's out. The next one's probably in production right now. You know. And it's so crazy to me that they're a fan. Like uh, the the three are listed as directors. This movie has three directors and working. Can you imagine making a film with your mom and dad? <laughs> I mean, I mean if, they were, if they were as cool as John and Toby, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like I was saying, at one point, there's like a nude scene with the parents, and like, and be like, oh man, if I had to do a nude scene with my parent, like, it, like oh my god, no, just like, I couldn't do it, man. No way, but um, uh, yeah, I, I'm very curious about their process, how like who directs what or if they just all do things together and it really, you know, doesn't, they don't, you know, really doesn't matter, you know. Um, from, from film to film, they all have like the same visual quality. It seems like they've they've found a rhythm and uh, and they know what they're doing and, and it works for them. Yeah, exactly. Whatever the process is, keep doing that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So just whatever it is, do not upset the apple cart. Keep rolling forward. I'm looking forward yeah. to whatever this movie is. I'm sure it's going to be even better than this one. Uh, one to point out too, I really like the music in this. Dude, absolutely right. I, 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 when I was talking to them before the film came out about it, you know, that's all John. I mean, a lot of, you know, the guitar stuff, the rock music. And it's like, okay. um, well, it's them, not just John. I mean, John right. plays it parts but there's uh zelda's vocals are in there and uh and i was like it's to me it, the some of the guitar based stuff reminded me of like jesus lizard or like some kind of dwayne dennison kind of thing you know oh uh, yeah yeah I, I i picked up on that a little bit like it had like a very like am rep vibe too for the bands on the on, on am rep a little unsane um which is cool. I usually hate modern music in period settings, but uh, and it, it worked in this again, adding to this somewhat strange, surreal vibe. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, it's like an, an anachronisms, you know, similar to um, it follows, you know, in some ways, not as extreme as that. Like, and it follows. You think it's in the seventies, and like that right. girl pulls out like a cell phone or you know something like that. Right. There's like cars in it, but it's it's almost like that was definitely more of an extreme anachronistic sort of thing, but subtly there's like anachronisms in this film, like the music, you know, the heavily tattooed people being, you know, I mean, I, I know back then there were heavily tattooed people, but you know, it's more, I right. consider it a modern thing. You know, like my grandfather, yeah. 
heavily tattooed. He was a merchant marine. He had oh, okay. covered in tattoos. Well, John, his, you know, he's tattooed on his hands and his knuckles and it shows him in like World War One, you know, or whatever, like with his tattoos, like uh, maybe that would be a thing back then. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, but you're right. The the sort of co- combination of like modern things with uh, things from the past make for uh, a very like sort of unique visual film. Yeah, nah, it's it's interesting, man. I mean, and like I said, the whole from go out, check it, check it out, watch this film. You know, if if, if it's playing somewhere, see, I'd love to see it in a theater, but I don't know if they're gonna, you know, there's gonna be any more theatrical. Um, maybe someday, you know, it'd be cool to see all this stuff run the theater again. But who knows? You know, I think if I were to do my top six over again i might place this in the top six i think maybe it might have bumped one of um uh one of the like uh number five or number six off i guess second viewing really uh brought more into life for me with the with this film yeah uh, it's definitely great um you know check it out like you said you can rent it i'm assuming someday it's going to show up as a streamer on like you know shutter or something like that shutter is always like keen for this type of material so that's uh you know i'm, I'm assuming it'll show up on there at some point yeah all, all right. right guys well happy new year everyone let's uh let's crush 2024 and uh we'll talk to you guys next week take care take care everyone